production of Radio Six International. Hello, Wedemara. This is you and Spence and the Edinburgh Festival Fringe calling. Wow, there's so much to see. I mean, numerically, I, I knew that. It's like 4,000 jewels, but we're getting into the big weekend. Dreams are made, fortunes dashed, and that's all in one show. Multiply that by everybody. And he realised why Edinburgh is the arts capital of the world every single August. So what tiny smattering of a tiny sliver of a slice of excitement do I have for you in today's show? Well, we have the rise of Al the Sidekick, improving on a scratch show, and Aloha, a lot of abbreviations. And, and if you want to spoil the fun of those cryptic clues, edmarfringe.thepodcastcorner.com will have links to all the shows and all the mentions, so you'll be able to find out uh, who I'm talking to from the show Ethos, from the show Panels Palace, and the show Statements as well over the next half hour or so. But yes, it is the big weekend, so get out there, enjoy the Fringe if you are in Edinburgh. If you're not in Edinburgh, yeah pop up for the day you know it's not that difficult uh and if you just come for the day you won't have to worry about accommodation but if you are go stay in glasgow you can get the train it's about five quid at night uh and there's still space over there uh right then um as always thanks to paul lay from fringe view he will be talking later on to pamela's palace um and also thank you to radio6.com who get us out on the radio around scotland and around the world as well uh they broadcast 24 7 so if you're tired of me you can get more music uh keep on listening radio Radio6.com and the team over at iFringe as well always deserve a nod. iFringe.com and you can download the application to your Android or iOS powered smartphone uh, and it'll tell you it knows where you are, it knows the time, it knows what's great at the Fringe and it'll give you a whole bundle of recommendations. But we'll start off the chat first with Alice Fraser and Ethan. Alice Fraser joins me on the show now. Welcome, Alice. Fourth year at the Fringe. Yes, indeed, it is my fourth year here. It's, I feel like I'm an old pro now. The show this year, Ethos, tell us a bit about it. It's a double act with a robot. It's a very silly show. Uh, I'm talking about what it is to be human. Um, so maybe it's also got some philosophy in it, but I tr- I'm trying to be a little bit more silly. My last three shows were very heavy. Uh, not heavy, they were very intense and they were very personal. I'm doing them as a trilogy on the 13th, on the next Monday, uh, which is to say three one-hour shows in a row, because if you can't do quality, you might as well do quantity. Why not four hours? Why not tag on this year's show as well? I did that in Melbourne, and it was fine, but I wouldn't do it again. Uh, by the end of the day, I was just... So, uh, let's stay with that. When does the triple header start? It start? Well, it is just a one-off. It's on Monday the 13th. So, from 5pm, it's in the underbelly, Bristow Square. Very nice venue. So it's one ticket, three hours, not three tickets for three you can one get, hours. You can get tickets to any one of the three yeah. or any two of the three, and there's a cheaper ticket. I think it's £15 for all three. There we go. Details, websites, usual places. Yes, look it up on the internet. <laughs> That's easy. I remember the days when people would have learned their URL and get it out of there. She's like, yeah, it's on the internet somewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm probably going to get it wrong. So trust Google better, more than yeah. you trust me. Or we'll have the link back at our website into the box office, which will be edinburghfringe.thepodcastcorner.com because I'm still old school and do URLs. There we go. Okay. Right, okay. You didn't do http colon forward slash forward slash www dot. 
Well, we have a www dot because it's a subdomain that reflects up the way, but. <sighs> Oh, nerd. <laughs> nerd. Right, okay. Uh, do you want to Do you want to stay nerdy or do you want to go light and fluffy? I'm happy to go nerdy because uh, I have just... Is it really robot. ethos a robot? Because to me, robot to me implies that there's some physicality and movement and manipulation in the physical space, whereas ethos in the show is more manipulation in the mental space. Yes, he's more of an AI. He's a robot mind. Um, but I stick with robot because it's um, easier to write. If you put AI on your listing, people go, why is she doing a double act with Al? Where does the, where does the idea come from, though? Because there have been countless double acts down the years. And we should stress that it's a double act with a computer. It's not another actor hiding no. around the back. No, indeed. It is all sort of programmed and cued and all of that kind of thing. So it's... Uh, I, I, I liked... I liked working in sketch and improv. I started in sketch and improv. My comedy influences were all, you know, Monty Python, Fry and Laurie, Mitchell and Webb, all of that kind of thing as, as a kid. The Goon Show, that's what I grew up on. And uh, I missed working with someone else, but as a grown-up, um, it's very hard to organise rehearsals and uh, I've become enough of a stand-up that I want to have total control, so... I thought, why not do a double act with an AI? It's a concern that we all have nowadays. You know, a lot of people are talking or worrying about AI as a danger or as a replay, you know, in, in the way that it'll affect the economy. And I thought that's a thing to do comedy about. How difficult have you found it switching from the, the solo material and then switching to doing it with a computer? How much of a mental gear change is that as a performer? It's really relaxing because often the way that I do comedy, I'm always second-guessing myself. I'm always double-thinking myself. It means there's a punchline and then a punchline and then a questioning of the punchline. And it sort of, I think, for an audience can be uh, hard to follow or look like I'm showing off, even though I'm just trying to lay out my thinking and not oversimplify things because comedy is good for oversimplifying things but if I'm wanting to communicate something then you also want to have a clear line of logic so having the counterpoint there not in my voice is really useful I can I can pose the questions and I mean the real secret the secret um, inspiration for the show was there are now things that you can't really say on stage. I mean, you can, but you will be dragged on Twitter or people will accuse you of things. And I'm always interested in difficult ideas. I'm always interested in talking about the things that people are uncomfortable talking about. I think that's where really interesting human things lie. I think it's not a good trend that we have. I think it breeds hypocrisy to pretend that no one ever thinks these thoughts or questions these things. And if you don't question them or think them or talk them out, you don't realise where your logic is flawed they just sort of make sense on a gut feeling and you, you never unpack them so having another voice on stage he can ask the questions I can't ask he can challenge me on orthodoxies that I then have to justify and clarify uh, and it becomes its own thing it's not a traditional double act and a traditional double act would probably find a bar or coffee and just sit and watch old episodes of Mad Max or something and bounce ideas off you can't do that with your own homegrown Alexa or Siri because if you did, you'd have a Nobel Prize. You wouldn't be at the fringe. <laughs> yes. Unless you've got a secret Nobel Prize. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Well, it's actually a lot of the inspiration for it's come from the podcast and uh, the Tea with Alice podcast that I do where I do talk about dangerous and difficult ideas with people, things that they're uncomfortable thinking about. And that's that made me kind of want to bring that to stage and realise that I couldn't on my own. So 
bringing in the robot was the way to do that. How close to the edge of the whole thing falling apart are you every night doing this show? At all times. And I'm one yeah, I'm one twitch away from the wheels coming off at all times. And that's what's fun about it. That's what keeps it interesting. Does the restriction on you improve the art? Absolutely. Yes, I'm a big believer that that uh, um, restriction. Oh, now this is a dangerous topic. Uh, I'm a big believer that, that that creative restrictions make good art. I'm always more interested in a poem that has structure than in a free verse poem because I think it's you know more interesting to see what someone does within those confines. I'm not in, I'm not uh, advocating for like economic or political restrictions on art. Uh, but I do think trying to be funny within the parameters that are given or beautiful or whatever it is that you're trying to do with your art. And that's one of the things that comedy does because if people don't laugh, you have to make people laugh, every joke. So you can. that's what I like, seeing how far I can push it in whatever direction, whether it's intellectual or emotional, and still bring people back to fulfil the form, which is to say making them laugh, making them feel good at the end of the show. Uh, how far can you push it before it's not comedy anymore? And if, in your case here, the restriction, of course, being the programming that you contributed, that if you push it too far, it's not a case of, oh, I've run out of money or I've run out of space, or you're just going to have to pretend this is a 60-foot high scaly dragon. It just blue screens. Yeah, basically, yes. And, and also, people don't laugh. If it doesn't work, people don't laugh. So again, I've sort of added an, another layer of restriction onto myself. It's a, it's a Houdini trick. I'm doing it with my arms behind my back. I mean, theatre knows that it can look at a stick and go, that's a 60-foot dragon. But it can't look at a screen at the moment and go, oh, yeah, that's a completely built AI personality that's learning. How how do you work that first five minutes, I suppose, is the question. Well, I, I sort of explain the premise of the show and the robot also explains the premise of the show. And so the fact that we're both explaining it together, I think, gives people the idea of the show. Cool, cool. So, Ethos itself, remind us on when it's on. Uh, it is on at 7.55 Bristow Square Underbelly in a room called The Frisian, which is apparently, I learned, a kind of cow, because all the Bristow Square Underbelly rooms are cow names. So I've, I've learned a new cow name, and that's that's where my show is, at The Frisian. Alice... Google me! <laughs> just, just Google it! Thank you so much for having me. Alice Fraser there and the show Ethos. And of course, don't forget her triple header as well is happening on Monday. It is a one-off on the 13th. So uh, get your tickets as always at edfringe.com is the main one. Emberfringe.thepodcastcorner.com as well. Right then. There's more than one fringe. Brighton is one of them. Paul Levy was there earlier to see an in-work show called Pamela's Palace. It's up at the Edinburgh Fringe now. This is a piece that I saw at the Brighton Fringe in what's called a scratch performance, and that doesn't mean that you're scratching while you're watching it. It means that the group courageously throws itself open to an early draft of their work, invites feedback, and then develops it and changes it. And this is now up at the Edinburgh Fringe, so I can't wait to see it, because I actually said, and these are my words, and I don't use them very often, um, that this was an award winner in waiting. But that's down to them. That's down to you know what they did with this feedback. So, I'm joined by... Katie Grace Cooper. And... Aisha Tanzi. So, you're both in this piece. And so, what I want to know is what happened. Bring me up to date from the moment 
I stepped out of the venue and you kind of went onwards and now here you are. What happened to the piece? So there were, um, there were things that we loved about the show and there were things that we, we wanted to develop for Brighton but didn't have time. So we then had two weeks which gave us the opportunity to address those things. And there were fundamental storyline issues, there were character arc issues, and there were also things we wanted to push further and push and um, take more risks. And, and, and is it still called Pamela's Palace? It's still called Pamela's Palace. It has all the same... We wanted to push the interactivity. We wanted to push having the audience involved into the storyline and the environment more and develop the characters more um, and make it a bit more dangerous. We wanted to bring the danger in. And what it did also, by being Pamela's Palace, which was a hairdresser, um, going, going, yeah, for the big one, the big prize, whatever the award was, you created that world within seconds, didn't you? Uh, but then you had to deliver a show. So, you know, what were you happy about and what weren't you happy about? Uh, I think we were, we were really excited about that very immediate uh, engagement with the audience, the immediacy, the, the liveness and the potential risk of that, the danger and the thrill for both the performers and the audience. Um, and so, as Katie said, we, ha- we have pushed this in the development, but we were also really excited by that as performers. Mm-hmm. We've made it madder because <laughs> we're no longer in a traditional theatre setup. Um, we are now in the Traverse. And um, so it's really Although not the Traverse Theatre, just so we know. <laughs> yeah, we're in we're in a Traverse seating plan. <laughs> thanks, Paul. Yeah, Traverse Theatre <laughs> next thanks year. Thanks for reminding us that yeah. we're not there yet. Not <laughs> yet. Um, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Um, so we've got we've and we've been faced with loads of challenges with that, which we're still facing and we're still trying to nut out. Which again, like, but we love it there. We love that place of danger and not knowing and that level of um, it's going to go horribly wrong. But we feel a lot of. Funnily enough, we feel a lot of comfort in the not, in the if it could go horribly wrong. And you've also um, venue built, haven't you? You haven't chosen one of the big four. You've chosen a place in Edinburgh, which is a good challenge because you have to tell the world it's there. But why did you choose the venue, and what is the venue? The venue that we are at is the venue that. Um, basically the company that we're doing the show with they perform their other shows in hotels so we were basically given the challenge of making the show work in a hotel room so this is a company with the expertise where you can have dinner with your show and those of you who have heard of Forty Towers the dining experience is an example though this is nothing like that this is a show in its own right isn't it yeah it's nothing like the, the Forty Towers show the, norm, the usual format that, that ITI do is, is an interactive dining show this is an in, interactive immersive show but it's an hour long you don't have a meal so it's very 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 different so that's a different thing too because when I saw it, it well, there was a fourth wall um, but let, let me say this for you it was mad but it didn't feel not designed and I know that when you do a scratch you know things go wrong you try stuff out and you improvise a bit but there's a paradox there because some of the things that you said to me Katie afterwards were the things that I loved most and I sort of begged you to keep yeah, you're physical theatre performers, you can do dialogue, you can sing, you can dance, and I didn't want the chaos of this, because this is a crazy piece of madcap, fast-paced theatre that also manages to be emotional, it manages to build relationships really quickly, and there's a story. Oh God, I've written the review and I haven't even seen it. <laughs> 
brilliant. Can we write that down? Well, well yeah, but, but so, you know, you didn't design out, did you? You haven't become too neat with this, have you? I think this, this idea of inviting chaos and, and seeing how these characters respond to the crumbling palace, which is Pamela's palace, um, is really exciting. And it kind of feels because of the pace of it, that you sort of have to be able to deliver the script, and there's no doubt that there's skill and scriptedness, but you have to sort of do it as if you're improvising it. Yeah, it's really important to us that the audience laugh their head off, but also potentially cry, feel moved, but also connect with the characters. We want them to go on a journey. We want them to fall in love with the characters, to hate the characters, to fall back in love with them again, to have a massive laugh and, and do it all again and time and time again. We're really up for that. So we wanted, in order for that to happen, we needed a script and we needed a story and we needed to craft it and spend time on that and really investigate that journey mm. and then ruin it <laughs> and yeah. then wreck it. What skills do you need to do that, though? OK, so reel off your CV. You know, what, what skills are in play during Pamela's Palace? Well, we've actually um, been really lucky to work with several um, experts in their field. So Aitor Basuri, who is a clown master, and Stephen from Spy Monkey. Spy Monkey. Uh, Stephen Harper, who works with Told by an Idiot, who came in in the last uh, two-week development and did physical fight curry with us, which was fantastic, so much fun. And obviously Mella Faye, who's been directing with us the whole time and her very keen eye has been brilliant for us in terms of a devising company there's loads of verbal knockabout as well isn't there in the script well the interesting thing about the three of us is that we're all really different there's a similarity but we've all had very different training Aisha and I are slightly more similar but for example Donna she um, she's a writer so Aisha and I are more devisers and she comes from a writing background so she'll go home and squirrel away and create a script and then we'll come back together and pare it down and Donna actually this actually, this show actually started as a one woman show that Donna Donna Gray performed she wrote and performed it as a one woman show in the Camden Fringe three years ago and basically hated it because she hated the solitude of being a solo performer and she didn't enjoy it at all and she realised that she wanted a team and she wanted to do it she wanted to be with someone else on stage and see what see the characters that she could bring into Pamela's world so Pamela actually started as a character in the hairdressers and, and this is where it's gone but the three of us are so different that we really needed the director because we'd come in with such different ideas and we needed someone to tie all those ideas together here we are with Pamela's Palace and finally without the word amazing or any other superlatives I'd like an invite to come and see Pamela's Palace at the Edinburgh Fringe well, do you mean specifically at the Fringe? Yeah, why, why should people come? There's 4,000 shows. What's your invite? You're going to laugh your head off. It's, it's gonna, you're going to laugh so hard it'll hurt. You're going to cry. You're going to have free champagne. Not champagne, free fizz. That's ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> Some nibbles. You're just going to have the best time of your life. I was invited into a story, and the reason I want to go and see it again is it wasn't even finished at Brighton Fringe, and it left me wanting to see it again. So thank you for talking to us. Paul Levy there uh, with the team from Pamela's Palace. And uh, you can read more from Paul and more of his interviews uh, and all his team over at fringeview.co.uk. Right then, I am going to head up into a castle. It's really the old TV row union house at Gilded Blue News. Uh, but let's call it a castle uh, for the moment because it's fun and it has turrets. And in there, I was talking to Samuel Clements about his show.
Samuel Clayton's statements? Or is it just statements? How, you know, because you can't tell with this flyer, Samuel. It is statements, yes, that's right. You, you've bolded statements, but you then kind of like pretended to bold your name above it as well in a sort of, well, maybe I should take some credit or not. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, try and get the name in there. So I did, I did write the piece. Um, so in a nutshell, statements, it's a world, it's a comment on the world of SEN, which stands for Special Educational Needs. So the play follows three boys' stories. One boy called Daniel has got Asperger's. Another boy called Javid, who is a refugee. Um, he's also got Down syndrome. And the third boy we meet um, is a child called Toby, who's got what's called EBD. So it's Educational Behavioural um, Disorder. And the play is sort of littered with all these acronyms, and um, which sort of shows how confusing the whole system can be. And then around these three boys, you meet educational psychologists, parents, teachers, speech and language therapists. So I play about 11 characters over the course of... Because it's performed as a one-man show. That's right, yes. It's a one-man show. Um, And I've worked... So one of the characters is a guy called Chris, who is a one-to-one. And he's the connection which which, connects all three of these boys' stories. Um, So it's based on my own experiences of working with these children in, in a primary school setting. And it's not a verbatim piece so the, it's mainly just sort of drawing on my own experiences of lots of different kids that I've worked with so, so it's not one specific child Daniel is not it's specifically somebody out there who you've called Daniel for this it's an amalgamation yeah, it's composite that's right that's right I mean there are some certain, so the, the second child the audience meets Javid that's, that's based quite strongly on one, one experience I had with a boy who was a refugee and obviously you know there's a whole language barrier thing there he didn't he, he had to speak a different language at home, coming into school every day. Somebody with Down syndrome who's being told to, you know, count with Lego bricks and write his name holding a pen that he's never seen before. Um, and just hugely confusing for him from, you know, being in this entirely different world. And suddenly he's in a school. None of, the, none of his parents went to school. None of his brothers or sisters went to school. So it was a huge challenge at the time. But... I didn't want that experience just to be sort of swept so you, under. So you were at the school at that time? I was, yeah, yeah. Is, is that where they? I need to capture this frustration is probably a good word. I think so, yeah. It was, there was a, I think my role as a one-to-one, I wasn't, you know, I'm not a trained teacher. I'm, I trained as an actor, but um, the day job was working with children a lot, um, and it still is. Um, but I think doing, a, doing that one-to-one role, you, you do feel frustrated because... I didn't have the power to go knock on the headmistress's door and be like, well, this poor kid is being left behind. You know, he's, he doesn't have a clue what's going on. I just had to sort of do my best day to day and uh, try and look after the kid as best as I could. Um, and then, yeah, in the years that followed, in and out of acting work as you are, it's, I didn't want that, that experience to, to be forgotten, really. So uh, I started writing the play about a year ago. And um, I knew I wanted to do, to do a one-man show because I thought all these all these stories needed to be told um, but at the core of it it needed to have one message which is kind of told through Chris the one to one and yeah we did a we did a run at the King's Head Theatre um, oh gosh I was at like January time and Fringe was looming and I thought well if I don't do it now then you know I never will and I'm, I'm going to regret not doing it but it's been wonderful because we're here till the 17th so we're not doing the full run but it's just given us the opportunity to um, sort of chart my performance if you like and um, you, you don't have uh, a week off between shows you sort of uh, you know, obviously as soon as you finish the show you're out on the streets flyering and talking about your show as much as you can so it's been uh, it's been a great opportunity to get that continuity um, 
and just talk passionately about it, which is the, the subject matter is certainly something quite dear to my heart. Yeah. One of the fine things I find interesting is you've chosen to focus on three male lead characters. That's right. I can use that description. Where this is this is a situation that's not exclusively male. You know, Asperger's autism does affect females as well, and probably the same sort of percentages. Why? the focus on the male side absolutely in this in the play we do meet female characters but in terms of the children's stories i didn't want it to be a crude imitation i didn't i didn't want it to be so, so the, the limits the artistic limitation that you have guided that choice yeah i think so i think just in terms of the three boys that are in the story are i was always working as a one-to-one with a boy so um there was um there was one girl i was looking after a very sweet girl um who um she was autistic also but it was which is what this play talks about is that was only for a very short period of time and then I was moved on to another child um, and I think the thing I'm trying to get across in this play is that some children don't get that continuity they don't have the opportunity to build a relationship with um, you know the parent or the um, the teacher that, that they have working alongside them um, and that was always the main frustration that I felt when I was working in, in that I mean, industry. What's the audience reaction like? Because one of the things at the Fringe is the second the show is over, that yeah. wall that's between the audience and the performer disappears and you're probably going to bump into each other in the corridor again. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I do try and encourage um, people, if they wanted to, uh, stick around after the show. So we, we just finished a show about an hour ago and um, I had about six people out in the, out in the foyer. One was a, a Senko, so... A, special educational needs coordinator um, we've had a head of a, um, a special school come to watch the show today we've had one-to-ones we've had an EP an educational psychologist and it's a really great opportunity to for them to ask me any questions if they wanted to the play really is just about acceptance and empathy so really that's it's quite a universal emotion that we should you know um, we can all recognize in some degree so I'm not just looking for educational specialists to come, but when people have st- stuck around and had a chat afterwards, um, that has generally been a... Um, they've been able to relate to some of the experiences, um, even if they haven't worked in that industry themselves. What happens to the show afterwards? Because if you feel like, oh, I better take it to the Fringe, it sounds to me that the Fringe yeah. feels like a natural end point, but then do we get a volume two of statements? I'm really pleased you asked this. So before coming to the Fringe, it was all about, okay, I've not done the Fringe before. I just, I need to, it was like a rite of passage. I wanted to tick that box almost. But since being out here, um, we've just found out today, we've got our third five-star review. So we had five stars from Broadway Baby, uh, uh, Voice Mag, and Edinburgh Guy just gave us five stars today. And I think with the reaction we've had from some of the audience, it, it feels a real shame to just let it go to sleep now. So, um, hoping to get a, another run in in London um, so all you producers out there I'm going to be contacting you and bombarding you with emails I'm sure but they're all here in Edinburgh yeah, you don't need to go far if you true. stay in this bar right now you're <laughs> going to be good in about six hours time I think so I think so but we're in one of the secret bars upstairs <laughs> in a castle and then outside of that I think potentially taking it to some community centres um, I've done lots of theatre and education as an actor but generally speaking the message you're trying to get across kind of fin- finishes at 3.30 when the kids go to s- go back to go back home so I think if I can get, get it on a small scale tour you know get in touch with local educational authorities and try and share the story with as many people who have a vested interest in education and potentially making change um, then, then that would be fantastic and while it is at the fringe uh, and we've still got some time left to see it where can people see it? Uh, Statements is in the Wii Room at Gilded Balloon. It's 12.45pm every day 
and we're here until the 17th of August. Samuel, thanks you, Joe. Thank you very much, Ewan. Samuel Clements there and his short statements. Emmerfringe.thepodcastcorner.com uh, so you can get a link direct into the box office of Emmerfringe.com so you can get tickets for the show. Uh, thanks to him for the time and appearing on the show. Uh, Katie Grace Cooper and Isha Tanzi spoke to Paul Levy earlier as well. Thanks to them and Pamela's Palace. And right at the top, Alice Fraser. Thanks to Alice as well. And Ethos. We should have got, actually got Ethos the computer on as well. That would have been fun. Anyway, uh, you can go along and see all of those shows. Uh, please do. And if you do uh, go along to them and because you've heard them on the show uh, let the artists know it's always good for them to get the feedback as well uh, thank you all out there for listening thank you for our support from everybody that helps out with the show the family as well uh, the team at radio6.com fringeview.co.uk and ifringe.com as well if you're looking for an application for your smartphone at the Edinburgh Festival it knows where you are it knows what's got all the stars it knows the time of day and tell you what's on around you that's great right there and then and bookmarks and favourite your shows and links back to this podcast Podcasts and radio shows and everywhere else. It is the big weekend. Remember the rule of three. Go and see something you're sure you like. Go and see something that somebody else has told you you're sure you like. Choose something at random and that will be a great fringe experience for the ages. And if you've got lots of time, do another three, then another three, then another three. Uh, Monday to Friday for the shows only this year, so I will be back on Monday with more fun from the fringe. I'm Ewan Spence. Edinburgh's Ewan Spence. Edinburgh's Fringe. Ta-ra for now. From the Fringe is presented and produced by Ewan Spence and is a production of Radio 6 International, copyright 2018.